welcome back to season three of my podcast. I am Amanda Blackwood, the survivor. As many of you know, I wrote my autobiography as a survivor of human trafficking called Custom Justice. For those of you who didn't know, now you do. Keeping in line with that, this entire season is going to be focused on interviewing other trauma survivors who did or plan to write about their own experiences as trauma survivors and how they overcame their past. Get ready to hear from some truly incredible people. Please hang on for a moment through this brief advertisement. This is what currently pays for the show. Of course, I will also take donations through PayPal to keep the show running, or you can show support by a simple book purchase. I have quite a few out there. Just look for books by Amanda Blackwood on Amazon or Barnes & Noble. Your purchase does go to helping to support local organizations that help fight human trafficking also. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show. I'm super excited to have a young man with us today who's had quite the incredible story. Uh, just as a quick little introduction, he grew up homeless and abused by his father for the first 10 years of his life. Uh, Tyler's had kind of a crazy story, but he has overcome a lot in order to be able to write his story and to be with us today. So Tyler Witkowski, thank you for joining us and welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you, Amanda. I'm, I'm glad to be here um, to be able to tell my story and hopefully give some people some hope um, with their own stories. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's exactly why I do this is because people like you have such a powerful voice that not enough people get to hear. Right. You know, that people need to know that there's hope out there. And I think you can offer a lot of hope to people that have been through some pretty horrible stuff. Normally, my first question right out of the gate when I start um one of my episodes is what was your childhood like because most people experience their traumas later on in life but yours started out really young so tell us about that how old were you when things started going crazy was it right when you were first born did it happen when you were too little to remember tell us a little bit about those early years um my parents divorced uh whenever i was about five years old um and that I, I thought blamed myself for that for a long time. My dad um, had cheated on my mom and I found out was with him while he did it and told my mom not knowing any different. You know, I, I was just like, oh, daddy was hanging out with X, Y, Z. And, you know, from there it was kind of a downward spiral. And um, wow. so I kind of blamed myself for a long time because I was like, man, if I wouldn't have said anything, would they still be together? You know, would we still have this happy family? But you know, that's, you know, as you get older, you understand that that's not, it never would have been the happy family that you wanted it to be. Um, but from there, after that, my dad moved out of my mom's house um, and he would stay with his sister or stay at his job, stay um, in hotels, motels, on the streets, wherever he could find somewhere to sleep. And uh, my mom, you know, she didn't really know what was going on. She thought he had places for us to stay. And so we would go with him every other day. And it was just every other day I would be homeless. Um, and I wouldn't know where I was going to lay my head down at night. And that's a scary feeling, especially as a five, six, seven-year-old kid. You know, you want to, you have this expectation that, 
your parents are going to protect you, but then whenever they're not, it's, it's a scary feeling. And, you know, I was so naive. I remember thinking, you know, one of the things we lived in a, or stayed in a really bad neighborhood one time. And I knew it because, um, the guy at the front desk had told my dad, he was like, Hey, I probably wouldn't stay here with kids, but of course my dad didn't have any money. And, um, that was the only place he could afford. So I remember thinking, you know, in order to help myself go to sleep, I was like, well, I'm just a kid. Nobody would hurt a kid. And that's how I would put myself to sleep was just that, that kind of, I'm a kid, nobody's going to hurt a kid. And, you know, that was the only way I could go to sleep at night without, you know, stressing. Um, he, as I got older, me and him started to see things differently. Um, I started to see through his, um, shield of lies and started calling him out on it and he didn't like that he would get uh, physical there were times where me and him I still remember one day he picked up a uh, pool stick a pool table he had once he finally got his house he had a pool table in his house and me and him were arguing and we were standing on opposite sides of the pool table and he grabbed a pool stick and started swinging it at me so I grabbed one and basically we sword fought with sword uh, with pool sticks um, when I was 12, 13 years old, um, wow. you know, I, I, I went through a lot of that, you know, I, my dad and I, we are on better terms. I've, I've kind of given into the forgiveness. He's, um, I've got seven, seven siblings. So for the sake of them, I've kind of gone through and given him the benefit of the doubt to that. He is a different person than he was back then. So, I've tried to develop a new relationship with him since then, um, mainly to be closer to my brothers and sisters as well, um, but also to give him that second chance because he was young. He was in his early 20s, um, maybe not even 20 whenever he had me. So, you know, I, I have a theory that everybody can change, um, but once you once you prove to me, prove me wrong, then that's when your second chance is gone. So, so far he's, he's been pretty, he's been pretty good about it. We haven't had any issues, but I mean, you know, with me being almost 30 years old now, you can't really ground me for not agreeing with you. So (laughs) that aspect is really out of the window. (laughs) How old were you when you started calling him out? Um, I was probably about eight or nine. My goodness. I mean, it's, it, I didn't learn how to do that until I was in my thirties. <laughs> yeah. yeah it, wow. It was, it was a humbling experience. I grew up very fast. Um, like I said, my dad had, um, so I've got one brother that has the same mom and dad and then, um, three brothers and sisters who have the same dad, different mom and another sister who has the same dad, different mom. Um, so, you know, I had to take care of my little my little siblings because my dad was always working and his wife was always working and I was the oldest. So, you know, from 10 years old, whenever he had his first his second first kid, I guess I should say, um, you know, I was raising the kids from them. So I, I just right. I had always I grew up really quick whenever I was young and missed out on a lot of the childhood and had to develop really quickly. Wow. That's crazy, Tyler. That's, that is wild. Oh my gosh. So how has all of this kind of impacted you as who you are now? Um, so 
I'm a big mental health advocate. Um, and a lot of that stems from, you know, I, I, I believe a lot of that stems from my childhood trauma. Um, you know, going to therapy now, I unlock memories that I haven't had in, in years. Um, you know, there are things that my brain has just shut out, but I've now started unlocking those memories and saying, okay, you know, it's nothing to be ashamed of. That's my past. That's who, that's how I became the person I am today. And I embraced my mental illness and said, you know what, this mental illness doesn't define me. It's a part of who I am, but it isn't, it isn't exactly who I am. And I wanted to give people hope that just because they went through something similar, just because um, they were, went through some kind of trauma or had some kind of mental illness that there was hope that you could achieve more than your brain or the world was telling you you were capable of. I know what it's like to be, you know, I was bipolar growing up through high school and I was diagnosed and people looked at me differently. They thought I was weird. They thought I was, you know, I had teachers tell me that because of my mental illness, I wasn't going to amount to anything. Um, but here I am now, um, you know, with a, a house, a beautiful wife, great dogs, family that loves me and a publishing company with friends that are helping me run it. I mean, I, I couldn't be happier. And it just to be able to prove everybody wrong and give other people hope to say, you know what, don't listen to what everybody else says, because only you dictate your future. Only you dictate your success. That is fantastic. My goodness, what a powerful message that is, too. It takes a long time to move past this stuff. It does. And you mentioned... You mentioned bipolar. Uh, I've actually, I've got several friends and family members that have been diagnosed with bipolar. And it can be very, very difficult for a bipolar person uh, to stay on their medications. Do you have any kind of words of advice for anybody that's going through something like that? My support system has been the absolute biggest um, thing for me. If it wasn't for my wife and my mom and my brother who check on me and say, hey, have you been taking your medicine? I mean, and it's not that I, I intentionally don't take my medicine. It's just that sometimes life gets busy and I get so carried away doing everything else that I forget to take care of myself because I'm taking care of so many other people. And I think that's a common thing yeah. with bipolar is because we're so empathetic that we want to take care of everybody else before we even worry about ourselves. So yeah. just relying on the people around you and allowing them, don't get frustrated. I used to get frustrated when my brother would call me and be like, hey, have you taken your medicine? I'd be like, yeah, man, what is that supposed to mean? Like, you think I'm not capable enough? But now I realize it's just because he real he understands that I'm so busy taking care of everybody else that somebody has to take care of me. And right. so allowing other people to take care of you and to provide you that guidance and not get upset about it, not take it offensively, you know, that was something I had to learn to embrace. But once I did, you know, now there, I mean, there's still times I'm, like I said, I'm 30 years old and there's still times where I forget to take my medicine because I just get so busy. But my wife reminds me, my mom reminds me, my brother reminds me, my friends remind me, you know, I've got a, a really, really good support system. Um, one of my books is actually about, relying on your support system not alone the first book i ever wrote was about people relying on their support system and embracing that support system because that to me has been the biggest difference in my life if i didn't have the support system that i have now that supports me and 
and helps me get to where I need to be, I don't know where I would be. You know, I, I don't do this alone. I do this with the help of everybody around me. You know, this is a team effort. This is a family effort. We're all in this together. Absolutely. Wow. You are such an incredible warrior. I mean, when we first started talking, we, we met on, was it Facebook? Twitter, I believe. Twitter. Yeah, that's right. It was Twitter. Oh, my goodness. Um, which is shocking because I'm rarely ever on Twitter. <laughs> but happened for a reason. Right, exactly. And when you first started talking to me and, and we start, first started having that kind of interaction, I started going, this guy's got something. This guy, he's, he's somebody. He's, he's got a voice that needs to be heard. And I can't help but think that there's going to be people out there that are going to listen to this episode and go, you know, he's right. I need a better support system. I need this to be able to help myself. And there's no shame in asking for that help from your loved ones to be able to have that support system either. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's, that's one of the hardest things that we have to overcome as, as people with mental illness who suffer from mental illness is just getting past our own brains and our own minds that are telling us that you can't reach out for help, that nobody wants to help you. You know, that's the biggest hump to overcome whenever you have a mental illness is your own brain. Right. Absolutely. And when I send out the little question things to uh, kind of preface you to let you know what it is that we're going to be talking about on the episode, one of the answers that you sent back was when I asked what was the one thing that you wish you could tell someone who's currently going through what you experienced, you answered with, you're not those things that you've been told that you are. I felt like that was something that I'm constantly trying to tell people and the words seem to get caught in my throat more often than I, I care to admit. People don't want to listen to that if they're still in a place of severe pain. They're being told not only that they are those things, but they're being told that they better believe these things because they've heard it so often from so many different sources. Right. It's just heartbreaking. Uh, do you know how you can how we can help somebody to get to that point where they're ready to start listening to you're not your past? I think the first thing for me was accepting, um, you know, for whenever I was first diagnosed, I tried to deny it. I was like, there's no way I'm not bipolar. I'm not all these things. This is just the doctors trying to get money out of me and trying to make me, you know, get take more medicine and control me and. You know, over time, I started to realize these different signs, and I'm like, you know what, maybe maybe there is something deeper to this. Maybe there is something that, not necessarily wrong with me, but that needs to be addressed. Um, you know, just like somebody with cancer or diabetes, you wouldn't say that there's something wrong with them. It's just an illness that needs to be treated, and that's all that a mental illness is. It's an illness that needs to be treated, and it, it doesn't define us, and I think once we accept that that is part of who we are, that's whenever we can say, okay, you know what, maybe I am, maybe I do suffer from bipolar, maybe I do suffer from depression or anxiety, but I'm not the type of person who's going to sit here and bow down to this, I'm going to rise up from the ashes like a phoenix and become better, um, you know, being able to rely on that support system is, is a huge, huge step, you know, because while you've got the world telling you one thing, if you can have the people that are closest to you telling you the opposite, those are the people you're going to listen to. So taking in that support system and saying, Hey, I need help. Just 
being able to ask for help is a huge, 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 huge first step. Right. Absolutely. And there's nothing wrong with it. And there's so many people that think that it's actually a weakness to ask for help. And I always try to remind people that it's not a weakness to ask for help because it's something that you're frightened of doing. It's actually a strength to ask for help because it takes courage to go there. Right. You don't see armies and and history. You don't see one person driving in to fight the battle. You see a whole group of people driving in to fight the battle because they know that there's strength in numbers. And the same thing applies whenever you're fighting yourself or you're fighting the world. There's strength in numbers. Absolutely. And you touched briefly on your publishing company that you started in the beginning of last year. Um, I, I love this idea. Tell me a little bit more of uh, Tea with Coffee Media. Yeah, so Tea with Coffee Media was a brainchild of mine and a few friends, um, Kelsey Ann Lovelady, Aaron Jolly, and Victoria Moxley, as well as my wife, Grace. Um, we basically, I wanted to, I've been a part of a bunch of different writing communities throughout Twitter and Facebook. I've wrote for online blogs like the Dark and Veil Universe and in the Pantheon and in the Crescent. And what I've seen is that there are so many talented writers out there who don't have the funds or who don't have the means or who don't have the social media following to get a big lucrative publishing deal. And I wanted to, I was in a spot in my life where I was financially stable enough to where I could invest into this business and help other people achieve their dreams. My goal is to, you know, we're a small press. We're just now starting. We're growing with our authors, but we want to grow our authors. And we tell them all the time, you know, if you get somebody that comes up to you from a top five publishing house while you're signed with us and they want to sign your book for a multi-million dollar deal, we'll let your contract go because our focus is you. Our focus isn't us. Our focus is always the authors and making sure they're getting what's best for them. And that's just something we've carried, carried through with us. And I think a lot of our authors have seen that, have seen that and appreciated that. We've actually, um, this starting in January, we're going to start doing trainings for all of our authors, just branding themselves, marketing, SEO, building a website, things like that. So we provide a bunch of different resources for free for our authors, but we also offer Um, editing and formatting and book cover design services to anybody, not just our authors. Um, We try to have a pretty reasonable price compared to everybody else to keep the cost down. Um, Of course, we still have to pay our editors and our cover designers and everything. So there is some cost that is incurred, but we try to keep it as low as possible to make sure that we're giving an affordable option to the writing community whenever it comes to getting quality, quality publishing services. That is cool. This isn't something that you hear very often. There's a lot of vanity publishers out there and there's a lot of scams, but Tea with Coffee Media is a legit source. So all you authors out there that are listening to this, um, you want to support somebody who has a really uh, great mission, then reach out to Coffee with Tea Media because they'll support you too. Uh, You also have a couple of your own podcasts, the Back Porch Parlay, which I love the concept of that one, and Cook the Books podcast, which is super cool that one's actually through because of your publishing company right yes so um back porch parlay is a podcast that me and a lifelong friend of mine matt started um late 2020 uh or yeah late 2020 
And what we do is we get together to discuss topics that we may not agree on, um, you know, politically or socially or whatever it may be, so that we can show people that you can have a conversation about things you disagree with people about, but still be civil about it and have a uh, ha- be able to come to a common understanding. Because we saw, you know, especially during the COVID era in 2020, we saw so much arguing and so much hate and so much division that we wanted to do something to show people like, hey, you don't, you can still be friends with people you disagree with. You know, now there, of course, are exceptions. You know, I'm not going to be friends with somebody who's full of hate or racist or homophobic or anything like that. But, you know, as far as some other political opinions and things like that, you know, we have those conversations. We also like to talk about craft beer. We're both big craft beer guys. So we do a segment called um, Beer of the Week where we find a new local craft beer and try it and give give a review just to bring awareness to local um, breweries. Where we're at in uh, Wilmington, North Carolina, there's about 15 breweries. So, Oh, wow. We're, yeah, we're approaching on the craft beer capital of the world over here. Um, so that's cool. We have quite a few craft breweries out here in uh, Denver and my husband has recently got me interested in the craft beers that are specifically sours. And, yes. Oh my gosh. They're so good. <laughs> my wife, my wife and Matt's wife are huge sour fans. They love sours. Yeah. I didn't even like beer before I met my husband. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. You kind of changed things for me. Um, so I'm looking here at another one of the uh, questions that I asked you, and I was asking for the name of your books, uh, and you've got a couple of them that, that are just, oh my gosh, you've got three in particular that you listed. Of course, yes. you already touched on Not Alone. We'll get back into that here in just a moment. We've got another one called Coffee, Alcohol, and Heartbreak, which, oh my gosh, I got to get this one. Uh, and then The Seeds of Love, Sunflower Kisses, book one. So tell me first about the Seeds of Love, Sunflower Kisses. So the Seeds of Love is a um, loosely based on my wife and I's uh, long distance relationship. Whenever we first got together, we were long distance for the first three years of our relationship. Um, wow. We were about four hours away from each other. So my my goal was to bring a little bit of awareness to long distance relationships because There wasn't a lot of, and I get why, but there's not a lot of romance books about long-distance relationships, and it's because it's hard to write because there is such a disconnect between the characters, but I think I was able to, you know, do it pretty well and and touch on all the aspects of the family life, but it also, again, the main character has bipolar and depression, so he suffers through that. Um, As the series goes on, he's going to uncover more um, mental illnesses that he has to battle and deal with. So that one is a personal story. It's going to be the first, that one is the first of a five book series. So I'm working on book two. I'm hoping to have it released this year. Um, it was supposed to come out last year, but with starting the publishing company, I had to put (laughs) all my writing on the back back burner. So, um, that one, it's, it's real fun to write though, because I get to relive some of me and my wife's best adventures and and tell them from a new lens. And, um, so it's, it's a fun story to write. And I think there's a lot of love and a lot of passion. It was my first stab at romance. I've never wrote a romance story before. So I was like, you know what, why not? I I'm a romance, I'm a romantic at heart. So, um, you know, I, I went with it and people seemed to like it. So I think I did a pretty good job with it. Um, 
the other book that you mentioned, Coffee, Alcohol, and Heartbreak, was a poetry mm-hmm. collection. Uh, I actually wrote those between 2012 and 2016, whenever I was in college. Um, I was not on any medicine at the time, and that was my way of coping with my mental illness, was to write poetry. So in between classes, in between work, um, while I was trying to go to bed, I would sit there and write poetry on my phone. And after I published Not Alone, I found those poems on my Google Drive. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to publish these because I've got the I felt empowered after I published Not Alone. I was like, you know what? I feel really good. People loved it. They loved the message behind it. And the poems are the same thing. They're not your typical poems. People have described, you know, they're I had one person leave a review um, on Amazon and their blog and they were like, I don't even know how to write it because the poems are so unique, but they're so powerful. So, you know, that to me was interesting because I, I never thought that my poetry style would be classified as unique or interesting. I thought it was just kind of a standard poetry, but I guess other people saw it differently. Wow. Yeah, I actually wrote a poetry book myself while I was uh, recovering from my own traumas. Um, most of it was all written like you within the first four years after I escaped human trafficking. Um, and I haven't had a whole lot of people read it because for whatever reason, there just doesn't seem to be that much of a demand for poetry, but yeah. I've gotten similar reviews from people who've, who've told me, wow, I didn't know that that's what it was like inside your brain at that time. And that, that always kind of um, strikes me as a double-edged sword. It feels good, but it also hurts because nobody knew what I was going through inside. Right. But now they do now that I don't need the help anymore. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, that's that's something that's so important, even though we may not get the help that we needed from this this outreach. Maybe somebody else will. Maybe somebody else who reads it will say, you know what, I didn't realize that somebody who was going through this kind of trauma or this kind of mental illness was I didn't know this is how they felt. But now that I do, I can be there better for them. Right. Absolutely. So you said that you celebrate your wins in life by traveling. Yes. I um, love that idea. I used to be a flight attendant. Where's your favorite place that you've been? So far, um, I love Beach Mountain uh, in North Carolina. It's a small little mountain town. They're kind of claimed to fame as they've got the Wizard of Oz land. Um, <laughs> Fun. So my wife and I, our first anniversary together, like our first dating anniversary, I took her to the Wizard of Oz land, which that was a big hoopla getting tickets because you know, the the Taylor Swift situation where Ticketmaster kept crashing, that was what I had to deal with whenever I was trying to get Wizard of Oz land tickets. Um, so it just kept crashing, and eventually I had to buy them secondhand. But we, we eventually went, and we love it. We want to eventually, you know, after we both get old enough to retire, maybe buy a small cabin up in Beach Mountain. But we actually just bought an RV Um, and we're starting a travel blog called Adventure with Coffee, and we're going to travel across the United States, try to hit all 50 states by the time we hit 50. Um, My wife and I both work remotely, so we have freedom and flexibility to travel throughout the week and and be able to go to all these new places, and and that's one way that I've, I've helped to cope with my mental illness was to travel and to get away from the daily stresses and to be able to go somewhere else and escape reality for a little bit. That's cool. 
That is really cool. Yeah, that was a huge help for me. I became a flight attendant not too long after I got back and was uh, finally on my own again. And that was one of the things that really kept me going. I knew we would connect on that one. (laughs) That's awesome. Who inspires you the most and why? Oh, my grandmother on my mom's side, who I affectionately call Mama, um, she was a high school English teacher, principal, assistant principal, basketball coach, and later my elementary school teach, uh, elementary school principal. And she's just encouraged me to write. She's always encouraged me to be strong. She's been kind of, I've got a tattoo on my leg for her. Um, her and my grandpa, it's a deer and an owl. The deer stands for my grandpa because that's kind of, he's kind of the leader of the family and the owl is for my grandma because she's looking over all of us and she's got the wisdom and the guidance for us. But she's always been my, my rock. She's been the one who has guided me through life, who has encouraged me through life. Um, she's, she was the first female principal in a very rural town in the eighties. And, um, you know, so she went through a lot and I saw her go through some of that whenever I was a kid and, you know, I'm actually writing a story kind of based on that called The Principal's Principles um, that shows kind of her struggles whenever she was first becoming the principal in a, in a mainly male-dominated industry. And, you know, just her power and her resilience has always inspired me to keep going. And I just, I love her. I don't, I don't know what else to say. I love her to death. <laughs> That's awesome. I have a grandmother that I was very close to. Uh, I actually wrote and published her story last year myself. Um, It's it's amazing when you can have that kind of connection with somebody that's once removed from your own immediate family. Uh, There's just something so special about them. They're, they're, They're older, so they have that wisdom. They have the age. They have the experience. And yet there's still something about them. It's almost childlike. Yes, exactly. And that's, and I think as, as she gets older, she gets more childish and I love it. She gets more, (laughs) she'll get more giggly and, you know, growing up, she was the type of woman that didn't say any cuss words. She didn't say, didn't drink in front of us, but now she'll, you know, she'll have a glass of wine or she'll drop a, a little S bomb or something (laughs) here and there, you know, just. (laughs) And it's, it just cracks me up and she's, she'll get the giggling when she does it. And I'm just, it's just those, those types of memories that develop and change as you grow older, but still remain just as special as whenever the ones you, when you have when you're younger. <laughs> that is adorable. <laughs> I love her and I haven't even met her. <laughs> so would you be willing to do a sample reading from one of your books for us? Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. So tell us which one you're going to read from, and then I'll let you just take it. Prob- I'm going to do Coffee, Alcohol, and Heartbreak. I'm going to do the first poem from that one. So this was the first one that I ever wrote. Um, well, for this collection. Wait for me on the other end of this beautiful rainbow. Going up is always harder than going down the bend. I'll come as fast as I can to meet you down below. If you look at it the right way, it's just our smile upside down. As together in the grass we lay, looking at the rainbow making not a sound. The vibrant colors of our love 
showing all aspects of our personalities in the sky up above, and we don't care who sees. We'll dance across the top, making it across together, and holding hands as we drop into forever. First comes the rain, the stormy days pour upon us as we feel the dreaded pain. We won't go down without a fuss. Then the sun comes out, drying out the dampness. Baby, don't pout, we're out of the darkness. The rain disappears soon, the sun shines brighter, our smiles boom, our love tighter. Then the rainbow appears, symbolizing our love. After the hardship of the years, we've been chosen to be together from up above. Oh. And that was a poem that I wrote for my um, now wife. That's awesome. Did, did you get a chance to read that to her before she was your wife? Yes, I um, I sent her a lot of these poems before uh, a lot of the poems in that collection that were dedicated to her. I sent those to her before she um, before they ever got published. She she saw a lot of these before, well before anybody ever saw them in 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 writing. Oh, that's awesome! I bet she absolutely loved that she was about to get married to a poet too. <laughs> She loves it. She lo- I, I have another one that I wrote called Fall in Love with a Writer. And basically the the theme behind it is if you fall in love with a writer, you'll be immortalized because they'll write about you all the time. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> Absolutely. So one last question I always ask people before I let them go. What is one thing that you love about yourself that is not related to your physical appearance? my resiliency um i've made it through 100 percent of the bad times i've gone through so far and i will continue to make it through 100 percent of the bad times i've gone through i go through um i've got such a good support system such a good you know i i call myself the phoenix because i've hit rock bottom so many times um and every time i just climb right back up to the top because that's what I do. That's what I know. I don't know how to sit there and do nothing. I don't know how to sit there and, and give up. All I know is to be strong, to keep going, and to rise back up. You know, I tell people all the time, sometimes you have to hit rock bottom to make your way to the top. You know, you, you don't just start halfway up the ladder. You have to start at the bottom. And sometimes you fall back down, and that's okay. You've just got to get back up and climb that climb that ladder again. Yeah. Yep, Absolutely. Well, Tyler, this has been really amazing and really uh, enlightening. And uh, the next time you have another book that comes out, I know you're working on the second one in your series. Let me know. I'd love to have you on the show again. We'll talk some more. Absolutely. I'd love to. All right. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful afternoon. Good luck with all of these projects that you got going on because, dude. (laughs) Yeah. I got a lot going on, that's for sure. And we will keep in touch because you're fascinating. Absolutely. I appreciate it, Amanda. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. If you've enjoyed tonight's episode, make sure that you head on over and check out the episode description. You will find links on how you can both support this podcast and how you can actually follow this author on social media, check out their website, find their books, find their blogs, whatever it is that they provide me with is what I provide in the episode description. So check it out. Go support our people.